Make plans to join us April 1st through 3rd for the 2019 Gospel Coalition National Conference. Conversations with Jesus. Listeners to Word of the Week can receive $40 off registration by entering the discount code PODCAST at checkout. Register today at thegospelcoalition.org slash TGC19. Maybe we believe once we find that workout routine and get the diet right and our body gets to where we want it to get, man, that's when I'm going to finally find the life that I am longing for. Maybe we believe that once I lose those pounds or once I hit that big payday or once I finally am confident in who I am, then I will have what I am longing for. This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, Life in a Tent, was preached by Alan McCullough at Grace Hill Church, Herndon, Virginia, on October the 8th, 2017. The text is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Listen now to Alan McCullough on Life in a Tent. Father, we're grateful for your word. And we're grateful that we can spend this time reading your word and learning from your word, knowing, Lord, that this is how we know about you. This is how we know about how you created us and how we are to live our lives and what it means to find joy in this life. And so, Lord, I pray as a result of reading your word and thinking about it together that, Lord, you would allow us just to have our faith built up. That as a result of looking into your word, we'd be encouraged. And that, Lord, we would just be able to live our lives for you, trusting in what Christ has done for us and trusting in the fact that you know what is truly for our joy. And Lord, specifically as we look into this text this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves as you see us. Would you help us to live with the hope that this life is not all there is and the best is actually yet to come. Help us to see that this morning. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What is on your bucket list? You know, the the list of things that, you know, we put together in our minds of all the things that we want to do before this life is over. You know, before you kick the bucket. Now, you know, that's a, it's actually a terrible phrase. You know where that comes from, right? I mean, you know, when we say the bucket list, it's referring to the phrase to kick the bucket. Well, that phrase comes from, you know, back in the day when they used to, hang people, you would stand on the bucket and they would kick it out, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible phrase when we talk about the bucket list, but when we normally talk about the bucket list, we talk about all of the fun and exciting things we want to do before this life is over. But you know, that conversation takes on a different tone when you're still processing through what we saw happen last week in Las Vegas. When these events in the world occur that cause us to ask all kinds of questions, of course we ask questions like, why would even someone think of doing this? How is it possible for someone to do this and and murder all of those innocent people? But it also forces us to 
face questions about our own fears and our own mortality. You know, we realize that this life is short, that this life could be taken from me when I'm not even expecting it, and it causes us to confront our own fears. But you know, I think that all of us live life with this worldview that is kind of like a bucket list mentality. It's a worldview that says that my life is short, you know, maybe 85 years, give or take, unless anything else happens to me. And, and I need to make the best of it, right? I, I need to do something significant with my life. I, I need to make enough money so I can retire. I need to have significant experiences in my life, right? I need to make sure I get married and have kids and do the family thing. And I want to climb the corporate ladder or, you know, fill in the blank of the things we feel like we have to do before the end of this life, right? This can be most stressful when you're in college, right? You got to pick a major and you feel like you're, you're trying to decide the trajectory of the rest of your life or Maybe this is the whole midlife crisis thing. You know, you just kind of hit the point where you go, what am I doing with my life? And you make all these radical changes. Right? We all share this worldview that says that those few decades or these few decades that we have in this life are all that we have. So we better make sure that we make the best of it. And we live in constant fear that death will meet us when we're not ready. Because this life, this body, is all I have. It's my only shot for joy. But what if I told you that a Christian worldview, what it means to actually live as a Christian, is the complete opposite? So instead of the idea that this life is all that I have and I better make sure that I make the best of it, a Christian worldview says... These few years that I have are not all that I have. The best is actually yet to come. But for now, I have been sent into this life on a temporary assignment. Right? That as followers of Jesus, we have been set free from the fear of the end. And that God promises us that one day when this body shuts down, we will be resurrected into a new body that's eternal, that's not subject to pain and suffering, and that God actually has an assignment for us while we're in this body right here and right now. Everybody lives their life according to a worldview. It impacts how you spend your time. It impacts how you spend your money. It impacts how you view yourself, how you view other people. And I believe that it is crucial that those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ evaluate their worldview. We need to ask the question, am I living my life according to what I claim to be true about Jesus Christ? Or is my belief in Jesus just an extracurricular activity in my life that doesn't really have an impact on how I view the world, or how I live my life. So what does it actually look like to live the Christian life, to have a Christ-centered worldview? Well, this is why this morning we are going to begin a five-part sermon series called Life in a Tent. 
Now, it's going to be abundantly obvious here in just a few minutes why we're calling this series Life in a Tent. But this is going to be a series where we are going to study verse by verse through 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, this is one chapter and one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And in this chapter, we get just a beautiful picture of Paul's worldview. Right? We get a clear picture of how he views himself. We get a clear picture of how he views God. We see how he's motivated to live the life that he lives, how he views other people, and what he believes his mission, his purpose, his assignment is in this life. And so by studying 2 Corinthians 5, we will be able to understand what it means to live the Christian life, and we will be challenged to evaluate our own worldview. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of context here to 2 Corinthians 5, and then we'll read our passage for uh, the morning. So Paul planted this church in Corinth, right, in the city of Corinth in Greece. But as the years went on, this church started to get some people involved in it that began to lead it astray. And one of the things that this church began to do is they began to question Paul's apostleship. They began to question Paul's leadership, if, if he was really worth listening to. Right? And so many in this church accused Paul, basically, that they, they basically said that because, Paul, you are facing a lot of suffering, because you face a lot of hardship in your ministry, we don't think that maybe you're worth following. Or maybe you really don't have the truth, right? It's almost as if they believe that a true apostle would not experience hardship in their life, but a true apostle would actually experience great material blessing. I mean, isn't that the prosperity gospel? You know, these preachers, you run around there and say, listen, if you just have enough faith in God, he will bestow upon you health and wealth. See, you know, all of that comes from a worldview that says that this life is all you have and you better make sure you make the best of it. But Paul here is defending his ministry in 2 Corinthians. He's defending why he is a true apostle and he's addressing these questions and he's saying that, hey, that's not the worldview that I live according to. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is essentially explaining his worldview and how that impacts, how that informs his ministry. All right, so that's the context. Let's read the first five verses here of 2 Corinthians 5. So I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
So in the first five verses here of 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to learn about how Paul views himself. How Paul views himself. And we're going to discuss how we should view ourselves in light of a Christian worldview. And as we get deeper into 2 Corinthians 5 over the next several weeks, we'll see how that impacts the rest of our lives. And Paul says here, That while in this life, while he's in this life, he views himself and he views his body as a tent. Right? Hence the name of the series. And in the next life, when he gets to go and be in God's kingdom for all of eternity, a resurrected body, and he's with God for all of eternity, he says that God has a building that is waiting for him. His perishable body will be resurrected into an imperishable body. And so, what's the difference between a tent and a building? What's the difference? Well, you know, a tent is temporary, while a a building's permanent. Uh, A tent is fragile, right? It's just, you know, some cloth draped over some poles, while a building is, is strong, it's stable. A tent is not comfortable, Right, you're you're still laying on the hard ground. Right, it's small; it barely fits everything you need. A building's large; it has rooms. It's got electricity and climate control and running water. Right, at least today. So Paul is very honest here that since we live in this tent during this life, we absolutely groan and long for the building that God has for us when we're with Him in His kingdom, the tent is definitely not ideal. And so when Paul says things like, when we put on our heavenly dwelling, we won't be found naked, and that we long not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, what Paul means is that the goal of the Christian life is not to get to this place where our souls get detached from this perishable body that we have, this mortal body that we have, and then our souls will just go and float in nirvana land in heaven. No, what Paul is saying is actually the goal of the Christian life, what we have hope for, is that one day these mortal bodies will be resurrected into immortal bodies. We'll be further clothed. We won't be naked. These will be actual bodies that we'll live in for all of eternity with God. So Paul's worldview is that this life is not all there is. The best is yet to come. But for right now, we live in a tent in this world. And God's got an assignment for us while living in this tent. And that's what this series is about. Life in a tent. How do we live the Christian life today with the hope of the good life that is to come in God's kingdom? What is our purpose and assignment in this life while in this tent, while we look forward to and long for the building that God has for us in his kingdom? But for today, here's my goal. This is my goal for today. It's just for us to wrap our minds around the idea that we live in a tent and we long and we groan for the building. That's all I want to get to today. We long and we groan for our mortal bodies to be swallowed up in life. I love that phrase here in 2 Corinthians 5. 
So you need to know that as a human being, God has placed inside of you a desire for more than this life can give you. Right? God has put desires in you, longings in you, for more than what this life can get you. And this means we long and we groan for more. We long and we groan for the building that God is waiting for us. Right? We long to live with bodies that don't age and break down. We groan to live in a place where we can be connected with other people in healthy, life-giving relationship without abuse, without conflict. We long to live in a world where someone doesn't decide just to grab a gun and murder 59 people and injure hundreds others. We groan to live in a place where there's no more conflict, there's no more oppression, there's no more supremacy, there's no more corruption. We long to live in a place where we don't struggle so much with self-doubt and being trapped in our heads, always wondering what other people think about us and if we measure up in this life. We groan to live in unhindered relationship with God. We long to be away from this tent that is so fragile and have the building that is permanent and stable and glorious. Every human being has this in common. We long for what is mortal about our bodies to be swallowed up in life. Every human longs for this. It doesn't matter what you believe. So here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know this morning. Your worldview will deter determine how you act upon that longing and that groaning. We all long for the same thing, but your worldview, what you believe, will determine how you act upon that longing and groaning. It's not a question if we long for the resurrected body. It's, it's a question of how we act upon it. And so if your worldview is that this life is all there is, and so I better make the best of it, then you'll spend the rest of your life trying to turn your tent into a building. Right? You'll spend the rest of your life believing that the answer to your longing and groaning is actually found in this world. But if your worldview is like Paul's, where we know that this life is not all there is, actually the best is yet to come, and I'm just living in a tent while on assignment here, then we begin to realize that our joy is not found in the things of this world, but our joy is actually found in the creator of this world. That although I can absolutely taste joy in this life, I don't have to be concerned about missing out because the best is yet to come in God's kingdom. All right, so let me try to give you some examples. Um, every one of us longs for affection. We long for affection. We desire for other people to care about us, to love us, to show us affection. We want to be able to reciprocate that, right, in a healthy relationship. We desire affection from other people. It's a God-given desire, a good desire. But we live in a tent, in a world that's been broken by sin. And so what this means is that we can also live life and, and feel loneliness. It means we can live this life where what God has made good has been distorted by sin, right? So maybe we grow up in a family where there is not affection shown. Or maybe we have people in our lives who use affection to manipulate or abuse us rather than just care for us. 
So in our longing and our groaning to be in healthy relationship with other people, as God designed us to be, our worldview shapes how we pursue that. Right? So uh, last, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, you know, we learned of the passing of Hugh Hefner, right? Uh, founder of Playboy magazine. I don't think we need to discuss his legacy in the wake of addiction and abuse and decimated families that's behind him. But it's interesting. I was reading an article about his life. I think it was a CNN article. And it's interesting how he noted in an interview a long time ago how growing up there was no affection shown to him by his parents. He said, there was no hugging and kissing in, in my household. No affection shown. And what, what's interesting is because Hefner is no different than us. When it comes to his core longings and groanings, what's inside of his heart, what he wants, he's no different from us, right? What he really longs for is not a bad thing, but it's not hard to see how he went pursuing that longing and that groaning in this broken world in such a destructive and unsatisfying way. Right? When he boasts of the hundreds of different women that he was with, that doesn't give a compelling case that he found what he was looking for. See, when our worldview is that this life is all there is and I need to make the best of it, we look to the world to satisfy our deepest longings, only to our disappointment. And the more disappointed we get, the more destructive our pursuit of those things becomes. But see, when we have a worldview that says that this life is not all there is, the best is yet to come, and I'm just in this tent here. It's okay to pursue healthy relationship with other people in this life. We just don't have to stray away from God's way of pursuing that stuff out of fear that we're going to miss out. Get the difference? Every one of us longs to matter in this life. We want to be influential. We want to be significant. We want to do something important with our lives, for people to see the value that we have, right? All of us want that. But if our worldview says that this life is all there is and I got to make the best of it, right? We look to the world to satisfy those longings inside of us, only to our disappointment. And the more disappointed we get, the more destructive our methods become. So, you know, maybe we become a, a workaholic trying to pursue that. We, we really believe that, man, once I achieve that goal or once I get to that place, then I'm going to find what I'm longing for. And so we put everything that we are into pursuing that, into our career or to get notice or whatever it is, convinced that one day we're going to make it, we're going to get there. It just came at the expense of our family or our marriage or raising our kids and being present in the home, it came at the expense of our joy in this life as we chase after this opportunity that's never going to deliver. But see, when we have the worldview that says, this life isn't all there is, the best is yet to come, I'm in a tent right now, right? It's okay to want to pursue something significant in this life. It's okay to go after that. We just don't have to stray away from God's way of pursuing those things out of fear that we're gonna miss out. Every one of us wants freedom. Freedom from a body that ages, that gets sick. Freedom from a body that can get injured. We want freedom from the need of money, right? Constantly worrying if we're gonna have enough or we're making enough, saving enough. Freedom from our minds. If you've ever struggled with anxiety or depression or stress or 
any sort of mental illness, just freedom from the constraints that that can bring in our lives. And again, if our worldview says that this life is all there is and I need to make the best of it, and we look to the world to satisfy those longings, maybe we believe once we find that workout routine and get the diet right and our body gets to where we want it to get, man, that's when I'm going to finally find the life that I am longing for. Maybe we believe that once I lose those pounds or once I hit that big payday or once I finally am confident in who I am, then I will have what I am longing for. And we enslave ourselves to promises that the world can never keep. Uh, a counselor that I used to see, he's coming out with a book. It actually just came out a couple of days ago. It's called Sipping Salt Water. And he uses this analogy in his book. He says, imagine if you're on a, in the middle of a raft in the middle of the sea. And you've been there for days and the sun is beating down on you and you are just parched. You're thirsty. You have no water the irony being that you're sitting in a raft surrounded by billions of gallons of water. And so as this longing for thirst builds and builds and builds, the idea of starting to drink salt water starts to sound like a good idea because it looks like it's going to quench our thirst and so you drink. And maybe at first it begins to quench your thirst. Just the feeling of water going down your throat begins to quench your thirst and to give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. But what does salt water do to our bodies? The more we drink, the more it just sucks every ounce of water out of our system. And our desire to quench our thirst, we go to the very thing that makes us even more thirsty. And when we live with the worldview that this world is all that we have and I have to make the best of it and I got to look through this world to satisfy my deepest longings, we drink of what is only going to make us more thirsty. I mean, don't we all do that? Every one of us. Don't we all look to the things of this world to satisfy what we're longing for? This longing that has been put into us by God himself. Right, the bad news is that it is this very thing that the Bible calls sin. I mean, Romans 1 tells us that we think we are being wise by looking to the things of this world to satisfy our longings, but the scripture says we're actually being fools. And in our foolishness, we reject God. We reject his goodness. We reject his word. We rob him of his glory. And so we stand condemned before God because we have not recognized God as our creator and the one who's the only one who can satisfy our longings. But the good news is this, is that Jesus said very clearly in John 10, 10, that I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I have come so they can have the life that they are seeking we needed to be redeemed from our sinful, destructive ways, and we need to be reconciled to God. And so Jesus came, you know what he did? He took up residence in a tent. He put on the body that we have, the mortal body that we have. He became that human being and he lived in a broken world with us. And the scriptures tells us he lives the life that we could never live, but he dies the death that we deserve to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to God. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and he raises Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is alive. He's our Lord and Savior. And if we entrust our lives to Jesus, to him, believing that our sins were forgiven at the cross, 
then the Bible tells us that just as Jesus was resurrected, just as the Holy Spirit came in because sin had been conquered, just as the Holy Spirit came in and brought Jesus straight out of that grave, we will be resurrected with a new body that is imperishable and we will live forever with God in his kingdom. And that is Paul's hope. Look at verse five of our passage. Paul says, he who has prepared us for this, for living life in this tent as we long for this building, he who has prepared us for this is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, right? That same spirit is given to us as a guarantee. It's a deposit that this life is not all there is and the best is yet to come, right? Think of the spirit as the engagement ring that God puts on your finger as we wait to be joined to him. And this spirit leads us and guides us towards life, towards a worldview that sees ourselves properly, right? As a tent waiting for the building that God has for us. And so throughout the rest of our study here of 2 Corinthians 5, we're gonna explore more what it looks like to have this worldview, what does it look like to pursue our longings in a godly way? What is God's purpose for us in this life, right? I long for the building, All right? How do I deal with those longings in this life? How do I live life in this tent? And that's what Paul unpacks for us here in 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll spend time studying that together. So stick with us because I'm, I'm real excited for this series. But here's my question for you. What worldview do you have? And where do you see yourself trying to satisfy your longings with the world? Where are you drinking salt water to satisfy your thirst? Because nothing will set you free to experience joy in this life, not just the next. Nothing will, uh, will set you free more to experience joy in this life than discovering that this life is not all there is and the best is yet to come. And God has something for us as we live life in this tent. So that's what we're gonna be discussing through this series. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning as we look into our text Lord, to actually live our lives with the worldview that, that says that our greatest, deepest, most profound joy is actually to come when we're in your kingdom, Lord. That's so otherworldly to us. All of us struggle with this worldview that says, I gotta, I gotta try to make the best of, of this life. But Lord, I, I pray for our church that, that we would be a church that puts our lives in the right perspective. That says, yes, well, there is a lot to do in this life. There is so much joy to be had in this life, absolutely. But you have something specific for us in this life as we await the next life in your kingdom where we will be given that building, where we be given that new body that, that is not subject to pain and suffering and death. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that place our hope in that. Our hope in the what is to come so that, Lord, we can be energized and motivated 
to live the life that you are calling us to here as we live our lives in a tent. So Lord, I pray for us through this series that you would help us to understand what your word is saying, to put our lives in the right perspective and to trust Jesus, to trust that we don't have to work to earn your favor. We don't have to work in order for you to be pleased with us, that Jesus has set us free to see ourselves for who we really are. So we thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to live with this kind of worldview and to live with joy. We pray as we sing this last song, Lord, that you would be glorified. And we love you, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.